Turning back to Mark chapter 11, please, I invite you to open up the scriptures there, that which we read just a moment or two ago. Let's just seek the Lord. We word a prayer entitled the message, The Colt and Christ. If you're visiting with us tonight, goes without saying, you're very welcome. And um, we do thank you for coming. But our prayer would be that not only the visitor will be blessed, but our regulars will be blessed as well. And that we would meet the Savior tonight. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy presence, for thy help already today. We thank the Lord for the freedom, the liberty we have to read thy word. And what a blessing that we can read it in our own mother tongue. We thank the Lord we're not gathering around an old priest that reads it out in Latin. But oh God, we have it in thy word. We have it in our own language. Thou hast preserved it. Lord, we pray that thou might bless its truths even to our hearts tonight. Give us understanding. Give us help, Lord, in this wee passage. Praying that thou would help us to cast our eye upon the Savior again. Thou might bless every willing heart. Remember us, O God, therefore, as we would handle thy word. I pray, Lord, that thou would empower us from above. I would give us words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The opening words detail for us exactly where the Savior was to be found. It was to be upon the Mount of Olives. That place, of course, is significant in terms of the Lord's second coming. We know that from the prophet Zechariah. Because he tells us that the Lord shall return, his feet shall stand upon Mount Olivet, uh, but he will come in all power and in all glory. How different a scene, however, when we read this passage. Within days, the Lord Jesus Christ would lay down his life on the cross of Calvary. Within days, the cries would be heard, away with him, crucify him, hands of Evil and wicked men would take the Son of God and they would kneel him to that Roman gibbet for the day, the death of the cursed. You see, that hour had now come that we read about in John 13. There was times when the Jews sought to take him, but they couldn't because his hour had not come. But now the hour had come. That hour was approaching by which he had come into this world the first time for even the giving of himself as a sinner's substitute. And so to that city of Jerusalem he would go, not in the darkness of the night, but rather openly and courageously in view of the crowds of people. But in these words, that words, those words that we read this evening, we have the very means by which the Savior would come into the city. He would come triumphantly in the manner in which the kings of the Old Testament would do so. For often they were found to be riding upon the simple ass. The Lord would come into the city of Jerusalem, not upon a horse, because a horse speaks of war, but rather he would come riding upon a colt, symbolic of peace. The Savior was going to Calvary 
where he would be triumphant even over the forces of hell and over the devil himself. He was going to the cross where he would be victorious over death. The third day he would rise again from the tomb. He would be victorious over the grave. He would ascend back to the Father's throne above. And he did so that his people might be victorious, that his people might follow on. For Christ came the first time that he might obtain peace through the blood of his cross for those who were at enmity with God. My dear friend, sitting in the Free Presbyterian Church tonight in Market Hill, if you're not saved, then you are one who is still at enmity with God. You are still one who is afar off. You are still one in whom the condemnation of God already hangs upon you. But praise God, he can so work upon your soul that you might be brought to Christ this evening and to saving faith. And it is for that reason, and it is my prayer, that you will experience what this cult was to experience this day. The cult is a young male ass. And in these few verses, we get a scene of what was taking place in the next village to where the Savior and his disciples were standing at this given time. For upon arriving in this village, I want you to consider what those two disciples were to see, as you'll find it in verse 4. They went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loosened. Now there's two or three things that I need to bring out there. There was a cult that had no liberty. This cult had no freedom because we read there that it was tied. That was why, that was what they were to expect to find. For the Lord had told them about that. If you go back to the words of verse 2, he said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a cult tied. It hadn't got its freedom. But rather, it was one that was bound by a cord so it couldn't go anywhere. It had no liberty. And dear man, woman, or young person tonight, if there's one thing that the Scriptures tell us and speak to us about the sinner, then it is a fact that they are bound and they're held by many a snare. The soul without God's salvation is one who has no liberty. They have no freedom, but instead there is bondage. For while the world may think they have freedom, and while the world may think they have liberty to live whatever way they like, and indeed the very thought of getting saved, and the very thought of being converted to Christ, it brings with it the thought of limitations and of rules. I want to tell you that it is the ungodly who are like this cult. For they are in bondage to their old master, the devil. And that bondage means that they cannot do that which is pleasing to God. Their whole being, the heart, is given over to sin and to the ways of evil. So that the old nature which each one of us are born with is inclined to sin all the time. That certainly is what is borne out by Romans. Because we read in Romans 3 uh, that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. We read there, with their tongues they have used deceit, whose mouth is full of cursing and, and bitterness. Uh, doesn't the Scripture sum up man exactly to the point? 
You see, we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now don't tell me that speaks about freedom or liberty that's speaking about bondage there's only one who can give you liberty there's only one who can give you true freedom and that is why we read in John 8 and 36 if the son therefore shall make you free he shall be free indeed this colt had no liberty it was tied this colt you'll see had no usefulness it was but a coat. Never man had sat on it before. It had never been put to any use in terms of those who work with horses. You'll know that here was a coat of an ass that never had a bit or a brittle in his mouth. It was an animal that had never been broken in. As the phrase is used among the horsey community, it was still an animal which had never been taught to submit to man. And so it might be suggested that it would never have been put to any good service for man. But what was true of the colt is also true of man born into this world. Everyone born since Adam's rebellion against God and taking of that forbidden fruit has rebelled. You and I, by birth and by nature, are a rebel. That's what the Word of God reminds us. We bring it out, we have it brought out to us in Job chapter 11 in the words of verse 12. Just listen to this. It says there, For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Uses the very same illustration. Man is a rebel by birth. He will not submit to the will of God. Neither indeed can he because of his fallen nature. And that means that he cannot be of any useful service for the Lord. Oh, there's many tonight and they try to serve the Lord in the flesh. And they try to serve the Lord through the old nature that have never been saved. But it remains unfruitful and a failure. The way in which this cult was found was in the state of being of no use. And that's the way in which God finds a sinner tonight because the sinner is one who's dead and trespasses and in sins. You're like the man of Gadara, for of him it was said that no man could bind him, neither could any man tame him. There's only one who could straighten him out. There's only one who could tame that old rebellious nature, and that was the Christ of God, at whose feet he came to sit upon, sit at, clothed and in his right mind. And my dear loved one, you're no different. That old will, that old heart of yours needs to be broken. It needs to be brought into submission before a holy God. For unless that happens, you will have a life of uselessness to God and to men. No liberty, no usefulness. And you know this cult had no entrance. Note the words again of verse 4, And they went their way and found the cult tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. 
for whatever reason, this colt was prevented from entering into its owner's property. It was without. It was shut outside. It was outside of the door of the house. And you know, I read that and I think of another passage and it is of that passage of the five virgins, the five foolish virgins. Because when the shout was, was made that the bridegroom cometh, they recognized that they had no oil in their lamps and they went and searched for the oil. But when they came, we read that they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. Listen to these words. And the door was shut. And the five foolish virgins, they came after that, but they never got an entrance. I never knew you. They who have no experience of the new birth, you see, they who are never born again of God's Spirit will be shut outside the door of heaven for all eternity. For understand, dear loved one, tonight, that man is shut out of heaven because of his sin. Nothing that defileth shall ever enter in. Even though he is created by God, yet sin has robbed us and made us enemies to God so that we are barred entrance into the very dwelling place of our Creator and of our God. What a picture this is of the cult. For it's a picture of the sinner tonight without God's salvation. Let me ask you, is it a picture of you? Bringing it right down personally. Is it a picture of you? No liberty, no usefulness, no entrance into heaven, no assurance of being there one day because of your sin. Oh, what a poor, wretched creature the sinner really is. But you know, having looked a little at the colt, I want you to see the Christ. For even though that the sinner's state and condition it's just as, this was, as it was with this cult. Yet I believe in these words we see the hope. And that is because of this power of the Savior. The Lord was to command these disciples. We're not given their names. It doesn't matter. But there are two disciples here who go at the command of the Lord to go to this village in order that that cult might be liberated, it might be set free, and it might be brought to back to him. And it reminds us that God uses men in the great work of liberating men from the bondage of their sin. Why do we go to Ballycorns Hall? Why do we go to Enoch? It's because God has said, through the foolishness of preaching, men will believe. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He doesn't send the angels. He uses men. And sitting under the sound of the gospel preaching tonight, you dear soul can know the power of Christ in your life. God can set you free tonight that you'll never be the same again. For I want you to see the Savior's power in the knowledge that he displayed. Verse 2, he saith unto them, you can just picture this, at the Mount of Olives. He saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat loose him and bring him. He is God. As we touched a little on this morning, he knows everything. He knows the very thoughts. He knows everything about us. And he knew what was happening in the next village. He knew what was there. 
He knew exactly where the colt would be. They wouldn't even have to go through the village. It would be at the very edge of it. And we have the added detail given when the disciples went, for we read in verse 4 that it was tied at a place where two ways met. What significance there seems to be in that. For one way led to Christ, and the other way led away from Christ. I tell you tonight that not only does God know every heart that is in this meeting this evening, and you know at Lance, just if I can in passing bring it to you, Psalm 139, the opening verses will make that very clear in case you don't get it. Psalm 139, verse 2, and it says, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. The Lord knows the times when we're up and about. He knows the times when we're sitting. He knows the times when we're lying down. Verse 4, For there's not a word, not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Is those, not, is those verses not proof enough? The Lord knows everything about us. But not only does God know every heart and know you tonight where you are, the Lord could say also to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. I knew thee. God is an all-knowing God. Nothing but nothing is hidden from his eyes tonight. He knoweth them that are his. He knows those that are still in their sin. He knows where you are tonight as far as uh, your soul is concerned. For God has planned it that you should be under the sound of the gospel preaching. Could it be that I'm preaching to one? And God has brought you to the place where one road leads to Christ and to God's salvation, the other road leads to hell. You're at that place where it's all or nothing. That place where the next step will be crucial for God has been striving with you by the power of his spirit and you have been under conviction of sin and you know what you need to do. There's only one way to God. That is through the person of his only beloved son, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. You see, there was just one door in the ark and we see that this afternoon for Noah and for all who were found in the ark to go through. There was only one ark from God's judgment. There was only one way through the Red Sea for the children of Israel to know their salvation and their deliverance. Just as there was only one ladder at Bethel by the time where God met with Jacob. Just as there was only one way that led to Christ this day for the cult, so there's only one way that leads to God and to heaven this evening. It's through faith in the only Savior, the only Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would go to the cross, who would pay the price of our redemption. I remind you, dear sinner, tonight, oh, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But the power of Christ is also seen, not only in the knowledge that he displayed, but by the authority in which he spoke. You know, nothing ever done for God will be without opposition. Don't, don't, don't be surprised. There'll be opposition to the gospel meetings. 
And when these disciples were to find this colt and start to loosen, there was every possibility that they would be confronted. There would be those who would question their actions and who would be prepared to stop them taking the colt. But even should that be the case, you see, the authority of the word of Christ would be all that they needed. Notice verse 3. If any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. The authority of Christ assured them that at the first mention of the name of the Lord, then those concerned would be made willing. And you'll note that as the Lord had spoken, so it was. When those two disciples and the time came about when they were starting to loose the cold, there were those there who objected. What are you doing? But when the disciples spoke those words, the Lord hath need of him. The response is shown in verse 6. And they let them go. Not only the coat, but the two disciples. They let them go. The Lord hath need of him. The authority of Christ was on display. Oh, men and women, when one who created the one who created the very animals of the field claimed one of his creatures, then who can stop him? And I tell you tonight that the authority of Christ is still as powerful as ever, for it is his word that giveth life. If Christ speaks the word, then your soul shall be loosed from the bondage of its sin and it's set gloriously free. For his authority is greater than that of the devil. The devil cannot retain a soul in his kingdom of darkness one moment after Christ claims that soul for himself. His power has been crushed by the Savior who bruised his head at Calvary. For there, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The power that caused the lame to walk, the power that caused the leper to be cleansed, the blind to see, is the power of Christ that you can experience this very night. For that's the Christ of the Scriptures. And that's the Christ that is found in this passage. He knew what was there in that village. He had the authority for to claim that colt for himself. The Lord hath need of him. Does the Lord's word come with authority to your heart tonight? There's one final thought. And it is the Christian. You see, those disciples at the behest of the Savior were not to return in vain. And they didn't return empty-handed. What encouragement that is for us as God's people to seek to go out to the highways and the byways to reach lost souls for Christ. For having loosed the colt, I like the words of verse 7, and they brought the colt to Jesus. They brought the colt to Jesus. 
These men did their duty well. They knew where Christ was. They were able to lead that cult to him. My dear fellow believer, that is also our duty and what God requires of us. At his bidding that we must go, we must seek to lead lost, hopeless souls to Christ. We know where he's to be found. By faith, the sinner must get to the foot of the old rugged cross, recognizing that they are a sinner before a holy God, recognizing there on the middle cross of Calvary was the substitute for all sinners, one who died in our guilty room instead. There at the cross, that they will but accept what the Savior has accomplished for them. They'll know what it is to be pardoned and forgiven. Thank God the Savior is not on that cross. Neither is he stinking in the tomb tonight. For this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That's where Christ is to be found this evening. And because he hath an unchangeable priesthood, he's able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him. What a change this was for the goat when it was brought to the Savior. The animal which never man had sat upon, it was haltered. We read in verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. He sat upon him. Nervous creature by nature, easily disturbed. Yet you just consider this colt was to walk amongst great cheering crowds. It was completely under the control of the master. It was in a submission to his will. And so it is when a sinner comes by faith to the Savior. There's a realizing of our need of Christ to save us from our sins. And then we're made willing to submit and become a willing subject to the Master. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're never the same again. And you'll see that this colt was honored. In verse 7, we've already read it, that they cast their garments upon him. That colt had a covering that it never had before. And so does the believer in Christ. So does the repentant sinner. For at the point of conversion, the old filthy rags are taken off and we're clothed in God's spotless righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is laid to our account and we're accepted in the beloved sight. But this cult was to be honored by giving service to the Lord himself. It was this animal that caused the Savior to be brought into the city of Jerusalem in triumph near that place where he would lay down his life on that cross. This little cult had a unique task to do for Christ that day and we might say it shared in his glory. And so, my friend, the purpose of every Christian is to do that unique service that God has given to each one of us. Oh, I'm not saying everyone will be at the front, everyone will be in the pulpit, no. But you have a little task that you can do that I can't. 
or the one beside you can't do it. But God has given you that task to do, and he's promised one day we'll share in his eternal glory in his kingdom. You just consider that this cold this day was to uplift the Savior before the crowd so that he received their hosannas. I want you to note that. I want you to take a pen if you're in the habit of underlining things. It says, And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know their cry was this. Hosanna. Be propitious. Be merciful. That's literally what it means. Literally it could be rendered like this. Save now. That's what the word means. That's where it comes from. The very sentiment that is found in Psalm 118 of which they were quoting. At least in part. Psalm 118 in the words of verse 25. It simply says this. Save now I beseech thee O Lord. O Lord I beseech thee send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They quoted that very verse. That's the word Hosanna. Save now. Dear sinner, the Lord is able to save you now. For that's the good news of the gospel. He's able to be propitious to you. Propitiation means turning away God's wrath from you. And it can be turned away because it was laid in Christ on that cross. Be merciful to you. He can be. Because the Savior has paid the punishment that you and I deserve. He's able to turn away your sin. For just a short time later, from this very passage, the Lord went to the cross. He willingly laid down his life's blood that he might pay the punishment that we deserve for our sin, that he might turn away God's wrath on the sinner's behalf. And he paid it all. I wonder, will you come tonight? I wonder, will you know your sins forgiven and then you can go forth, what doing? Uplifting the Savior before the crowds of people. Those crowds that don't know him as Lord and as Savior, just like that little coat that had uplifted the Savior as it brought the Lord of glory into Jerusalem. Little coat had a work to do that day. And that's why it was called from afar off to the Savior. It was part of God's plan. How do I know that? I know that because of what I read in Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9. That's easy to remember. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold. Stop and think of this. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the foal of an ass. That coat was part of God's plan that the prophet hundreds of years beforehand could pen the words. Man or woman tonight 
you can know you're part of God's redemptive plan by coming now. Coming now and receiving Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, and as your King. Wonder will you? I pray that you will. May the Lord bless his word about the little coat and Christ to your heart this evening.